0: So first deal was like $20,000. I can't remember sure. what I made from that. Let's say I made $2,000. Keep it simple. I did a deal reasonably early on. I think it was within the first year. It was a $300,000 deal. We made $30,000 in fees. We charge more than that now, the $30,000. And the deal took about two weeks, start to finish. Wow. You say we got lucky or whatever. Like looking back, I would love to be able to close all deals <laughs> in two weeks. That's not really the reality. But it happened really quickly and I was like, Wow, that's like $30,000. That was the most money I'd ever made.
1: Welcome to the innovative founder. The show where entrepreneurs get real. real. These are the raw, the gut wrenching, often hilarious, sometimes shocking, and definitely entertaining stories of innovative business founders who are making their beautiful dent in the world. No BS, no posturing, and no narcissists allowed. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the unscripted adventures on today's episode. Now, Here's your hairless hosts, Bob Rignaris and Brandon Boyd.
2: All right. Welcome, Innovative Welcome.
1: Founders.
2: Good, Here we are. Good to have you in our virtual studio. Right. For another in, enlightening and exciting conversation with a guest. Brandon, how are you today? I'm good. I'm a little sore. Why? I'm good.
3: Well, you know, I, I like to spend my mornings you know as the joke goes rolling around with sweaty men so yeah. with jiu-jitsu. so this morning i got you know there's a saying in jiu-jitsu is sometimes you're the hand the can you say that more clearly what Jiu jitsu. <laughs> yes you kind of just, just
2: brush by it and I, I, like, I just slur like, it was that the name of a
3: hotel that was like it was my morning vodka apparently was <laughs> you know causing some slurring so there's a saying that, like, sometimes you're the hammer, sometimes you're the nail. I'm the nail 99% of the time.
1: Oh. And, of
3: course, this morning they were showing, uh, you know, the, the the head of our gym was uh, using me as an example. Oh, um, So I got, you know, a head in my chest and a shoulder in my sternum showing specific techniques and I'm fairly, I'm fairly strong. I couldn't do anything. He, this is, this is the guy that owns the gym. He's awesome. Amazing teacher and, and lethal as a, as a, as a martial artist. So yes, I got, I got completely pinned to the mat and, and it's, you know, the humiliating part is like I'm sitting there on my back doing as hard as I can to get him off me. And he's just kind of chatting with the other people in the (laughs) class while he's pinning me like a fly like a butterfly, you know, to a board. He's just—I'm—I'm I'm completely incapacitated.
2: He's telling stories and he's chatting. Like,
3: oh yeah, he could—he could have he eaten a snack while he's pinning me there. That could have all happened. Are, you know? Are
2: you—are you a Napoleon Dynamite fan?
3: I am absolutely.
2: So okay. you familiar with the scene in the dojo? The guy in the <laughs> the USA flag? Yes, fans, yes. And he, he gets yeah. the wor- wormy guy to come up. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. He, he, he gets him, slaps him. <laughs> Bow to your sensei. Out of your sensei. ow! And so yeah, you're that guy. I'm that guy. I'm totally I'm that, that guy. guy. Yeah, I could just, I could just picture, you know, you're, oh, you're, you're in my dojo now. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's,
3: yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I was picturing. I just get my lunch eaten and taken, and I get stuffed in the locker. It's, it's so fun though. The, the camaraderie and the sense of, right, it's, it's, it's all good.
2: Again, but, uh, just reinforcing the fact that you love to put yourself in situations. <laughs> Where you put your body, your mind under yeah. extreme duress, and yes. see how you survive. Yes, absolutely. What was your morning
3: like? Let's talk about. Okay, what's what's a Bob morning?
2: <laughs> Bob morning today was very quiet. Um, last week, uh, had an opportunity. We we uh, so obviously everyone knows that Bob golf, but so we we, yes. we golfed us an event, a scramble, which is kind of cool. So okay. it's uh, four of us all hitting a shot and then choosing the best ball. So there's always in a always in a golf event there's a hole where you have longest drive. Okay. And so both my wife and I hit tremendous drives on this hole and got to put our name on the card and from what I understand we got surpassed each literally by less than 10 feet oh. and it was done by the final group of the day. So we missed out by longest oh. drive by one. However, on a par three, which is shorter hole, there's a prize for hitting your ball closest to the hole. I won. Nice. Woo-hoo! Nice. And won a $50, $50 gift card to the PGA Superstore. So oh, I nice. get to go, I get to go spend some money on golf. So Nice. I'm nice. a prize winner. I'm a I'm a I'm a professional because I receive payment for my
3: skills. Yeah. <laughs> what What will fifty dollars get you at oh, a so, pro shop? Is that like going to get a? box So of last time I
2: parlayed. So at at an event, I won a fifty dollar card. It was just kind of a random, like, hey, you win this card. I parlayed that, Brandon, into a six hundred dollar set of clubs. <laughs> oh, so dang. I got fifty dollars off. Wow, and and yeah, so hard
3: laid. That was a beautiful word. Well done. Yeah, yeah.
2: I invested the. Other I invested. Yes. <laughs> I invested five hundred fifty dollars in. A, That's in what a, you tell your in wife. A set of irons. I'm investing. She was with investing. Weird. She just shook her head because I yeah. took I took the club and I hit it on the simulator and it went like far and of she just shook her head and she's like I know yes. we're walking out of here with these and yes we did so. <laughs> Well, we got a really cool guest today, Brandon. Yes. Um he's a, he's a gentleman from the UK who now lives in San Francisco. His name is Thomas Smale. And he is um the co founder well, I guess he's the founder, co-founder. Founder. Sounds like he was uh, a founder
3: uh, and then became a co-founder.
2: Yeah, FE International. And this is really interesting. Brandon and I have never really met a expert in buying and selling businesses. He's- yeah. I don't know if you call him a broker as much as he comes in and helps facilitate deals. And he's done over 1,200 deals, mm. which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So you're going to hear a little bit about his story, about how he got started and, and some of the ways and I guess some of, the, some of the things to think about in terms of selling a company and some stories around that. So you can find Thomas and his team. Uh, which is a pretty substantial team at this point at feinternational.com ton of great information so if you're thinking of buying or selling a business um, that's where you want to head so without further ado we want to introduce our new friend Mr. Thomas Smale all right and welcome to the show we are here welcome, with everybody new, we're here with a new friend Thomas Smale did we get that right
0: Thomas you nailed it. Go down
2: one. Thank goodness. You're saying anything greater than four characters is always, always, yeah. always a challenge to us. But yeah, so uh, Thomas is in from San Francisco, calling in from San Francisco today. But obviously, with his accent, we're going to learn how he got there because he's, I don't believe you are native San Franciscan.
0: Are you, Thomas? Well, I'm, unfortunately, not. <laughs> where are you from? Tell us where you're from. Where's home? I'm from the UK, from England originally. Uh, I moved to the US five years ago now. Awesome. Excellent. Awesome. So one of the things we just like to kind of
2: get rolling with Thomas is tell us what you're working on right now. What, what are you most excited about going on in your life right now? It could be business, could be personal. What's, what's happening?
0: Sure. So I run Effie International. We're a, a mergers and acquisitions company. So I guess the simple way of describing it is we help people sell businesses, been running the business now for 12 years. And that time we've helped over 1200 founders Exit and I started the business straight out of college. So I guess if you ask me this question today or seven years ago or five years ago, I've been working on exactly the same thing. I guess just fortunately on a business that's been growing in an interesting space. But I guess that from a work perspective, that's all I do. I've been all in on M&A for 12 years now. Well, so
2: what what types of businesses, like what size do, do
0: you specialize in? Yeah, so we specialize in three main industries. Well, the first is SaaS or software businesses, Sure. E- e-commerce businesses, or, or anything similar. So it might be selling on Amazon, for example, and then content businesses. And by that, that could be a blog, it could be a podcast, it could be a, a digital product, but essentially anything that is primarily selling online, we specialize in. And then in terms of size, anything up to a $100 million in valuation, we do a real range below that.
2: Excellent. So what what's been what? can you talk about a like a recent acquisition
0: or, or purchase that was particularly interesting? Most of them are quite private, but I'd say is it in terms of like the actual like terms of them don't get announced, but I guess sure the privilege of having worked on twelve hundred is every single one is unique and interesting. I wouldn't say there's a particular one where you're like, wow, that was a like amazing deal. We've got to talk about it because all of them are. All of them are good. All of them are life-changing for the founders behind them. Mm. And it also, I guess the interesting thing for, for me is the, the the size of the deal does not necessarily correlate with how life-changing it is. You, we might sell a business for a million dollars for someone who owns 100% of that business. And that might completely change the life of the founder or the, the business partner's and maybe like the next generation as well, because maybe they can buy a house. Maybe they're the first people in their kind of family to ever buy a house, send their kids to college, travel, all sorts of things that could unlock. Or equally, we could sell a business for $10 million and the founder could already be somewhat wealthy. Maybe they've been making two million a year for the last 10 years. So an extra $10 million doesn't really change their life life as such. So obviously that's not belittling a $10 million exit. But the, I think the thing I like is almost the fact there are there are no single story that stands out as amazing. There's just lots of different deals. They're always interesting. They're always unique. There's a lot of similarities, which is why ultimately you hire a firm like us, because we've done it before and we've seen the potential pitfalls and we know how to get deals done. But there are many things that are are unique. And that's, that's really what's kept me going back for like 12 years as an entrepreneur, because I think a lot of entrepreneurs get bored and want to move on or they want to try new things. But because we're constantly working on something different, i.e. like a different business, that's always a bit that's kept me personally interested. Interesting. So
3: can you walk us through what does it look like for an acquisition for you? What kind of criteria do you have? I'm going to ask that. Like yeah, so, secure, do they yeah, find so, you? Or are you kind of going out and asking the question, Hey, are you looking to grow and sell? How does it work for you?
0: Yeah, most of our business at this stage is referral or inbound. Like, people hear about us. People of maybe their friend has sold a company with us, or maybe they heard someone on a podcast who sold a business with us. Lots of different ways they might hear about us. And I guess the, the, the compounding benefit of doing more deals every year is that we've now got 1,200 people we've sold businesses for. If you go back, Say four years ago, we might have been at eight hundred or like eight hundred and fifty. So you have slightly less people who are talking about what you do. And for many people, um, they'll only ever sell one business in their lifetime or their career. So people could have sold a company with us ten years ago, but they're still talking about it. You don't you don't just like close the door and then never talk about the fact you sold your business again. It's like a it's a story for life, unless you're a serial entrepreneur. And even then, you might only ever sell three or four companies. So most of it's inbound. Although we do a lot of things like podcasts, speaking at events, we put a lot of, I guess what I'd describe as free information out there teaching people about what we do, what their business could be worth. But Essentially, the process from our side is we don't have super strict criteria up front because ultimately, we don't know until we've looked at someone's business in detail whether or not it's something we think we can sell. It does at least have to fit in to the three main business models I outlined, or something similar, and has to be profitable and has to be of a certain certain size. So it can't just be making hundred dollars a month. It's got to be reasonably substantial. But what we do, the first part of our process is a free valuation. So anyone that comes to us, assuming we think a business is a fit, we'll put together a free valuation for them. And I guess part of the benefit for for us with that is it's a qualifying process. It helps us understand if we think the business is a fit. So we don't necessarily know exactly what we want upfront, but by going through that process, the seller hasn't paid anything. So worst case scenario, we go through the valuation. We say, Hey, look, we've looked at your business. We don't think we can help you, but they haven't paid us $5,000, $10,000, $20,000 to just Mm -hmm. get pulled no at the end. And we've always found that's been a pretty effective way of Doing it, And then also from a marketing perspective, if you're a business owner with a, a profitable business, even if you're not thinking about selling tomorrow, why not get a free valuation? There's no harm in it. We don't then have a sales team who are kind of not cold calling you, but calling you every day saying, hey, do you want to sell yet? Hey, do you want to sell yet? For, for most of the people we work with, it's a, like a multi-year decision. You mm, might yeah. get a valuation today, but actually you say, you know what? I my business for now. I'm kind of happy. I'm going to keep growing it for the next five years and I'll call you then, which again is part of the reason why I've been doing this so long because the longer you stay in it, the more people that call you back that you spoke to years ago.
2: Well, unlike marketing, which is kind of a skill like most entrepreneurs develop, right? They develop either a skill of marketing or operations. Like you said, selling a business is something that maybe entrepreneurs never do or maybe only do once. So are there typically triggering factors that cause somebody to call into you like what what are some things going on? Are they both positive and negative, or what 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 are some things that trigger a business owner to go,
0: "Hey, I think it's time to sell?" Yeah, so say there's like two groups of entrepreneurs, one who are building a business to sell it, sell so very specifically from day one, they'll say, "I'm building this business, I'm going to sell it in two years' time." And then there's another group who say, "I'm building my business." I'm never going to sell it. Either they don't want to, they don't think it can, or it's just not in their general plan or or mindset. So obviously the first group is easy because they'll come to us when they're ready. The vast majority fit into that second group and they never want to sell. But the way I look at it is always, they do not want to sell based on their current circumstances, which Mm -hmm. is their business is worth X and their life looks like it does at the moment. I think as basically anyone listening to this will know, like life changes, there can be unpredictable things that come come along. They could be positive or negative. Maybe it's something simple, like kids going off to college could be negative. Like you're getting a divorce could be positive. Like you're having a kid and you want to like free up some time. Maybe you're getting burned out and you want to do a bit of travel, which could also be a good thing. These are not necessarily, there's not necessarily always, always need to be a, like a, A negative thing to happen if you want to move on and sell. And then for, so that would say that's circumstantial. And then the other is really like value based. So if I can build my business to be worth $10 million, then I'll sell it because $10 million is enough for me, myself, my family, and the next generation to be financially secure. So do I want to work an extra 10 years to get to $20 million? Or do I take $10 million now and go do what I want to do.
2: So, so the question is, have you developed enough skill in this to be a part-time or at least want to be psychologist? Because Brandon and I, as business coaches and consultants, find ourselves in a position where we're like helping them through situations that we weren't exactly knowing going in. But it seems like if you're... This seems to be like a highly emotional thing for a business owner yeah. to make a decision to do that. So I imagine you spent a lot of time just talking through the emotions of things and, and, and like I said, working up your psychologist muscle in the
0: process. It, it, it really is a big part of it. And even mm. once people get into the process, people are like on both sides of the table, either buyer or seller, they can get cold feet at any time. So it okay. could be the day before the deal closes, someone's about to wire them $10 million and they say, actually, you know what? I don't want to sell anymore. So that, that can always happen. Mm-hmm. So that's a kind of psychologist bit up front. I would say yes, that is part of what we do. But we intentionally give the founder as much information as we can for them to come to the decision themselves. Because like agreeing to evaluation is one thing, but then you still have to actually get through the M and A process, which is stressful, can take some time. So if you're not committed or like fully emotionally committed and physically committed, then you're never going to get through the process. So if Mm -hmm. we've like persuaded them or we've tricked them into starting the process by overvaluing the business or we've been aggressively calling them until they've got no choice (laughs) but to sign up with us, then yes, that might work to get them to sign an engagement agreement with us. But a month into the process, they're just going to get cold feet and not want to sell. So yes, a big part of the actual process is, I guess... Therapist, psychologist, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> right up front, we want people to come to their own decisions because ultimately it's a personal decision. Like, yeah. if I say, "Hey, your business is worth ten million dollars," that's a great deal. You should take it. I don't know anything about your personal life. Ten million dollars yeah. might mean absolutely nothing to you. You might come from a generationally rich family and you have a trust fund, or ten million dollars might be more money than your entire family ever earned throughout yeah. history. So yeah, there's very there's no way we can say we're not financial advisors, so we, we don't sure. we don't tell people when they should sell. we tempi- We can tell people the best time to sell their business based on what we know about it, like, hey, the market's good right now, the business model you have is popular, and based on your current growth, we think you're going to get a really good deal, but we're not going to be there to like try force them and be like, "Well, personally, you need to like tell your husband that." now is the time to sell and that has to happen because we, we don't get involved in anything like that. So I'm curious, do you,
3: do you, I know you've got some stories after 1200 deals. Is there any stories? Was it any just shocking? You showed up to the table and they bailed and it was weird, strange, funny. Give me, give me something, something uh, in, in that world. It sounds like you, you, you're, you're, it's almost like buying a house like We had four offers on our house before it finally sold. And you're kind of, you're kind of walking on ice. Like, oh, is this going to be the one, you know? And then somebody flakes
0: anything like that. Anything just strange and funny or wild. I have, I think similar to your psychology question, like the reality is I have a huge number of stories I can never really talk about. I I mean, (laughs) you would be honestly shocked what it still surprises me today, maybe as a naive kid moving to America. years ago, it still kind of shocks me what some people might do. I mean, we've had a deal I, I worked on before and I was, I don't usually work on deals these days as a CEO. Like we have a big team. I'm yeah. not usually that involved, but in this case I was, cause it was quite a complex deal. And the, the founder, and this was a, can't tell you the exact size, but let's say it was one of the biggest deals we've ever done, the deal was like well beyond $10 million and the founder owned a hundred percent of the business. Himself, he didn't have any outside shareholders, hundred percent of it. He was quite young. He, in one of the meetings with, we had an offer agreed on the deal. In one of the first meetings, he slept through the first meeting, so I, <laughs> I, I literally had to drive to his house and wake him up. And then when he got to the meeting, he like essentially almost slept through it, so needed to get like coffee to wake up. And his excuse was well, he wasn't really a morning person. He was used to waking up at like twelve, and this meeting was a. Uh, 11am. So you would have thought, even if you're like a, like not <laughs> wow. a morning person, you would have at least like set an alarm clock on that day. Yeah, you know, but for no, 10 mil,
3: no, I'll get out not, of bed.
0: Not, you know. not, but the, it was more than 10 mil. So I remember calling him and he was like, what do you want? I was like, well, I'm outside your house because we have to go to this meeting. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, no, I know. I have all sorts of, I, I'm sure if he's listening to this, he'll be, he'll be laughing. And he probably would have spoken about the same thing, <laughs> but I mean, The kind of things that people, and in his case, I wouldn't say that was caused by stress, but the anxiety and stress within a deal, like it is tough. Like people can react in very unpredictable. um, You guys know this as coaches, people can act in very unpredictable ways. And often because there's a, uh, I guess like it's not a huge amount of good public information about there, about selling a business. There's some high level information you can read like TechCrunch about a company that sold for a billion dollars is that really useful if you're selling a 10 million dollar company N- not really so right. there's a lot of like unpredictable things that can happen so you just never really know how someone might react in certain circumstances and also i mean part of the reason it's useful to have us in a transaction often people don't know what's normal and what's not normal so right if x happens in the deal is that something that you should be worried about is that something you shouldn't care about so often, the buyer or seller might react in a way that you would not necessarily be able to or you would not necessarily be able to predict because in our mind, it's completely normal. We're like, okay, well, it's normal that attorneys will say this on a call. All they mean is this, but it could get interpreted completely differently, sure, so yeah, lots of different things that can happen, lots of different connotations, and often people will react negatively to things that we think are a huge win might be a really good like negotiation point we've got, or might be the, the opposite. We're like, Oh, this kind of sucks. Maybe we don't <laughs> want to tell the client this right away. And then we tell them we're like, wow, this is amazing. Cause that's exactly what I wanted it. So you oh. don't ever really know. Wow. Interesting. So let's,
2: let's, let's go back, Thomas. I mean, let what, what led up to your first deal? I mean, at some point you had to kind of put your stake in the ground and say, Hey, this is what I do. But like, what what got you to your first deal and, and what gets you to the point where you can do 1,200 of these?
0: Yeah. So I was at college and I think like many college kids, I didn't really have any money. Didn't come from a family with money. So no one was really giving me anything. I wasn't completely destitute. but I was not well off by any means. So I needed sure. to make money. So all the way through college, I was think, messing around with various different business ideas that I thought were good and ultimately most of them
2: weren't <laughs> uh, most were not what
0: <laughs> most were not so m- most didn't work at all no way So i you mean
2: you weren't like zuckerberg where you develop facebook while at harvard um, and drop out no not
0: that not that smart unfortunately I did not go to harvard <laughs> i discovered like one kind of summer i think that you could buy domain names and this is we're talking probably like 2000 and. Eight now, so okay. the internet people see today is not really what the internet was like in two thousand eight. There yeah. obviously was some infrastructure out there, but it was nowhere near as established as it was today. People with online businesses was not really a thing. Like podcasts were not a thing. YouTube, I mean, you—I don't remember. YouTube probably did exist, but it wasn't as mainstream as it was today. Sure, sure. People just didn't have online businesses. So either way, I discovered domains and websites. And I didn't re- I never really understood domains and I still don't today because <laughs> ultimately the value is very subjective it's like hey do you like the color of this yes no what's it yeah. worth yeah. it's going to be worth more to you if you like the color and if you don't it's going to be worth less it's exactly the same with the domain name i'm sure there are some experts out there who can approximately guess what something's going to sell for but it's very subjective whereas with a website and that's what I was doing back then you could establish the value Because it made money, it's like okay. If this makes another time, we're talking about a website that would make fifty dollars a month. You would know if it made fifty dollars a month, you could sell it for two thousand dollars. So, but and I did a business degree at college. That was kind of the background. Uh, So I've always been interested in business. So were you
2: were you developing the websites, Thomas, or were you seeking out people that? were creating
0: websites and didn't really know what to do with them once well, they started it, making it's money. It's that, like I, I can't write any code. I'm not very technical. If you asked me to do anything technical, I would definitely not have a business. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was not almost. That was the opportunity. The opportunity was that there were people out there who were technical and were creating websites and I could like buy it off them and then position it better and resell it. Mm, so that, okay. that's what I did for a while. And I would be, Putting hundred dollars on my credit card at the beginning of the month, selling it for five hundred dollars. So that was the start. And then the year I graduated, twenty ten, economy wasn't great. I mean, very similar to twenty twenty two. Actually, there weren't really many jobs out there. A lot of most of the people I went to college with went to work for investment banks or big four consulting firms, accounting firms, whatever, like big companies. So a lot of them were either not offering jobs or rescinding job offers or The market just didn't look that great. So I was like, hey, well, if I'm ever going to have a go at starting my own business, I'm making a little bit now. Why don't I just try it full-time for a year and kind of see where we get to? So needing to pay rent when I graduated (laughs) and other things, I was like, okay, well, maybe a quick way of doing that is I'll I'll launch a course. So I'll launch a book and teach people how to buy and sell websites. I didn't really have any money, but I'd been making a little bit. So I wrote wrote a book, had a course. Back then forums were popular. So we had a private forum community. We did a little bit of coaching as well. So it's like if you want help from Thomas, I'll do it for X per hour or X per month or whatever. That did quite well. I mean, by today's standards, like not really that much, but back then it was enough to pay my rent, essentially, which was my yeah. first yeah. benchmark for success. That took off, and I thought back then I was gonna make all my money coaching or just like teaching, providing content, and that would be the business. But what actually happened is people with established businesses read the, the book or went through the course, joined the forum, and they started off by saying, Hey, Thomas, I've like read your book. It's great, but can you just sell my business for me? Hmm. Okay. And what I realized is that like, very early on, the very first deal was, I can't remember how big it was, about $20,000, so not particularly big. But the biggest I'd ever sold for myself might have been So the difference for me at the time was huge. And what I, but what I really realized is that selling for something for $20,000 is basically exactly the same as selling something for $2,000. So that's really how I guess the very first deal happened. And then early on back then, if you wanted to sell your business and you had an online business, there were not, there was not an Effie International you could call. There are a couple of companies out there like starting out there are a couple of self-serve marketplaces out there but there was there was not a like these are the market leaders cool these guys so i was like well why not why not be that company myself and and launch it so that's what i did and then 2012 two years in i was still doing a little bit of everything my business partner joined who i also went to college with but he'd gone he was in a big investment bank and most of his deals were Billion dollars. So he was working on billion dollar (laughs) transactions. I was working on $20,000 transactions. Sure. And he was like, Tell me about your processes. And I was like, I don't have processes. I just kind of like do it. (laughs) So essentially, we teamed up. He joined. He put actual processes in place that you would use to sell a billion dollar business. I brought the industry knowledge. And that's really where it compounded. We kind of built a a mergers and acquisitions firm in an industry where there weren't really formal processes or anyone that was really doing what we're doing today. If you look out there, there's, there's lots of companies doing something similar to what we do. We were very early. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Like Talk the about- only one that I could think of, sorry, Brandon, that that's was good.
0: at that time was Flippa. I mean, Flippa still yeah. around. Flippa too. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Does that's exactly seem- where I
0: started out selling. So I'd be buying, buying something privately and then selling on Flipper, which back then wasn't even Flipper. It was called SitePoint. Oh yeah. That's SitePoint right. Marketplace. Yeah, yeah i remember that hey everybody i hope you're enjoying the show today it's
3: really interesting i know for bob and i to listen to someone who's so effective at buying and selling on, online businesses you know one of the things that we get approached about primarily is about how to increase sales and marketing with video and this especially with people who don't know what to say on video and, and don't know what to do and don't know how to work um, the language and building the rapport through video I know this, from what we've seen over the years, video is absolutely the number one media for influence. And if you have influence, then you can sell your company for a lot more than it is worth today. So we want to pitch uh, shamelessly our services and Speed Stories to consider getting on a discovery call with us. Let's talk about taking your written content taking your sales process and turning into a video to, in order to duplicate and repeat yourself online. So if this sounds interesting to you, why don't you head over to feedstories.com and get your free video discovery session with Bob and I.
1: You're listening to The Innovative Founder. Now, back to your hosts, Bob Rickneris and Brandon Boyd.
3: Talk. You, you mentioned your business partner, is that
0: Ismail? Yep, exactly.
3: Okay, so tell us a little bit about Founder, founder relationships. I mean, i I think I'm I'm lucky to have found Bob and I have found each other. It's a good marriage. You know, Bob's the dad of the company. I'm the wild card. He gives me a long leash. Sometimes oh, no. you're gonna say you're the wife. The wife. Well, I'm <laughs> not gonna go that far. Um, okay. but 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 it it's been a phenomenal dynamic. Bob and I have a lot of the same values. You know, we're we're we we love serving our clients and and like to sleep well at night. So, and we both kind of have had experiences in the in the Internet marketing world, which is always the highest of integrity, you know. Over there, tell us about founder-founder relationships. Tell, her about, tell us about uh, you know Ismail and and how that relationship was born.
0: Yeah, so I think firstly, it's a, you mentioned values. I think if you're going to work with someone, it's essentially share values, and you can have so. If you meet Ismail and you meet me, we have completely different personalities on a personal level, but from a values perspective, we're actually quite similar. We ultimately align with almost everything we believe in philosophically, our approach to things, how we might like then go about it could be completely different. And we'll definitely disagree with each other on the best way to do it. But I definitely think you need to work, at least in my mind, I need a business partner that challenges me. I don't need someone that's like, yeah, Thomas, that's really smart. Great idea. Go do it. I kind of need a bit more of like a, uh, no, that's stupid. Why don't you do it this way? This is this is better and vice versa. So sharing values is important. We we met at college, so we met in 2006 and then we started working together in 2012. So we, we'd already known each other. I don't necessarily think it's a prerequisite, but I definitely think it helps at least build that initial trust. And I also think it it makes it easier to give candid feedback early on if you already know someone. I think yeah. if it's a brand new relationship, you might be a little bit as concerned, but you might be a bit more worried about oh, maybe I'll like hurt their feelings if I say this. Whereas like we're pretty direct and honest with each other, even now if we don't agree, we'll we'll tell each other straight up. I mean, I've also seen founders work together where they're both quite similar. They might be both like super intense or both super chilled out and and that works fine. But at least in my mind, I think it works better if you have two conflicting personalities, particularly if you're starting a business and you don't have any money because you, you need to basically starting out, do everything between the two of you. So if you're both really good at say, you're both really good at sales, but terrible at accounting and terrible at marketing, can't really build a, business doing that you need to be able to do a little bit of everything and the easiest way to do that is if you share responsibilities between the two of you so that's what we did early on we kind of established like who's good at what and kind of focused on that and then we kind of make a point to keep the other one updated with what we're doing and then now the company has grown ismail was ceo for years i took over ceo from him about two years ago and that's that's meant that he's been able to like focus on some other areas of like growth that we were otherwise ignoring and got a little bit more out of the, the day-to-day weeds. And like across everything we do now, we're about 130 people. So there's like a lot of, in my mind, it's like you're a real CEO when there's 130 people yeah starting out when you have five. Yes. Lots of people call themselves CEO. And while I would never kind of discourage people and say, that's not a real CEO. Like, the challenge yeah. of managing 130 is completely different from managing five. Yeah. So I, I do that role now. I, I like it. I think if you asked me 12 years ago, would I be a good CEO? The answer would be no, I'd be terrible. I'd be not very good at all, but I definitely think it's something you can kind of learn and kind of grow into. And also I think it, in our case, it's helped to kind of kind of swap roles when it's made sense, like personally and professionally you kind of get the business to a certain stage and then you need like a, either a different approach or a different personality. Sometimes it's like a change in energy or whatever and go from there. So that's always worked well for us. I
2: read somewhere you, you describe yourself as an introvert, right? How, how does that play into
0: the way you're managing? Is it, is it a challenge? Is it a, is it a benefit? Yeah. I read something the other day and it was about, it was a, it was a diagram of like introvert, Offline, extrovert online. yeah and I think I'm I'm more the extrovert online and introvert offline. If you meet me in person, a lot of people will be like, "Oh wow, he like doesn't really talk <laughs> <laughs> choir, doesn't really like say anything. thing. but like online, I guess particularly because I started out kind of like teaching people on forums and stuff like that, and the the business really got off the ground with written content. So it'd be talking to people, writing forum posts, writing blog posts writing books. That's really what got us off the ground. But I'd say to my point about being CEO, I would have been terrible at the start because I was like too shy. And I would have hated the idea of getting on a call. If you said, you want to get on a video podcast? I would have (laughs) accidentally broken my camera on the day. Oops. (laughs) Yeah. Same same with like live events. I've done over the years, I've done a bunch of speaking on stage at events to speak to hundreds of people. And if again, if you asked me in 2010, would I want to do that? My worst nightmare would have been speaking in front of more than five people. Now, if you put me in front of 200, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not nervous at all, but I don't, doesn't really affect me. So I think if you're going to build a business, I mean, you also have to develop as a person. Yeah. So I'm definitely an introvert, but you have to learn when being extroverted is important, but you also need to like embrace your own personality. Like, if you speak to my, my team, for example, I'm sure they would tell you, like privately, at least, there are kind of some pros and cons. I'm not the company hype man. So, when we have our kind of team meetings on a Monday, I'm not like running around doing like a company song and dancing. You're not on doing the,
2: a Walmart cheer a table. to start the day. Yeah.
0: So, I'm not doing anything like that. I'm probably a lot more kind of reserved. I think sometimes people might see that as a bad thing. It's like, oh, wow, he's like really negative. But it's actually just more my kind of quieter. <laughs> Personality, but I, I think you can, I think you can build a successful company as an introvert or an extrovert. I do think if you are an introvert, you need to learn how to be extroverted when you need to. And I think right. if you're extroverted, you also need to learn sometimes you don't need to be the loudest person in the room. Sometimes think, you need to listen to people.
3: I think there needs to be more dimensions added on to introvert or extrovert i really do so i've only met i think two true extroverts which are people who get their energy from being around others most people i know they need to recharge alone they prefer some solitude myself included so they can show up better in a in a public or group. So i think we need to expand introvert extrovert I don't, I don't know what that looks that's, like that's but, why
0: i like the chart of yeah online. offline because i think a lot of people so i mean i think you might describe it as like work mode like a lot of people when they work they're different and then when they're at home they're different again and some people might be introverted at work extroverted at home or in their their personal life and i also think just thinking about it i think people are probably attracted in their personal life to people with a similar personality to them so i say it's more likely if you're an introvert you hang out your 10 closest friends are also introverts, but I don't really know. I've never yeah. a huge amount of thought into it. I just know that the way I look at it is the things I have to do as CEO. Like that is my job. And I get paid, I guess, fortunately very well to do it. So right. if I don't feel comfortable getting on a call or getting on stage, it's like, well, tough. Like you were the one that chose to start a company. Yeah. I was the one yeah. that chose to hire people and take on clients. You can't then book away from the challenges and say, well, I kind of, don't like it or don't feel comfortable. And I think that's just really something that kind of comes with age as well. Like yeah. 34 yeah, now, I, I lose a lot of that kind of, I don't really care what people think anymore. Years okay. ago, I'd be way just more wait, self-conscious. Just
2: wait till you turn 50. You're going to care even less.
0: Right. <laughs> yes.
2: It gets better. No, Tom, is I can relate, I, I have what I call performance mode. So when I'm, <clears throat> excuse me, when I'm speaking on stage or, Teaching or coaching, I definitely have a different gear and I can be in that gear for a while, but it's when I'm done, I do need to pull back and like recharge. And I think that's a true definition of an introvert is how you recharge, like Brandon said. But I can totally relate because if I'm in a small setting, I'll probably retreat a little bit and be quieter because I'm just kind of storing and restoring my energy. But yeah. When it's time to do a podcast, it's time to get on stage, a switch goes off and I'm ready to go. And I have a I have this, I have this other gear that people wouldn't recognize, even if they just were my personal friends and didn't know what I did. They'd be like, Who is that guy? You know? So I think I think it's one of the qualities you gotta have as an entrepreneur, especially in a small business or a growing business, is you have to change hats right? You have to have different gears and different modes, and you're going to be called upon at different times to do different things. So I'm glad you discovered it. You're still young.
0: No, no, for sure. <laughs> I, I definitely think you need to because, I mean, I don't think if you ask my wife, she'll be like, he never shuts up. He's just talking uh,
2: constantly
0: ah, at home. Right. But then if, In a group of friends, you'd be like, no, she's quite quiet. And then work-wise, I think it really depends. Like you say, you kind of have to learn when to wear different hats. And I think if you're an introvert and you try and be extrovert, like you say, like in like Podcast mode. If I was like that all day by 3 p.m., I'd be like asleep on the sofa. And I'm quite like a high energy, consistent person. I'm not someone that needs loads of sleep. I work a lot and I have done for 12 years. Like you call it toxic or whatever. I don't really have any sign of burnout. Like I'm fine, but I do. I couldn't do this all day. I'd be exhausted by the end of it. Whereas turn the camera off and kind of get back to. Sure. Deep work or whatever you want to call it. I can work all day. Nice. <laughs> but Thomas, was
2: there a particular deal that you had early on and where you went, I know, like, I know I'm going to do this now. Like, was, was there just a moment where you went, this is, I can absolutely do this. Like I can rock this and do it. I can do it well. I can grow this.
0: Yeah. So early on. So first deal was like $20,000. I can't remember sure. what I made from that. Let's say I made $2,000, keep it simple. I did a deal reasonably early on. I think it was within the first year. It was a $300,000 deal. and We made $30,000 in fees. We charge more than that now, the $30,000. And the deal took about two weeks, start to finish. Wow. Say we got lucky or whatever. Like looking back, I would love to be able to close all deals <laughs> in two weeks. That's not really the reality, but happened really quickly and I was like, wow, that's like $30,000. That was the most money I'd ever made. It, it, so that, that month where it happened, and it was March 2011. I still remember it. That was more money than I'd ever made in a month before. And while it wasn't just me by then, we had like a small team. I think we had a like a small office by then as well. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't $30,000 into my personal pocket. But sure. I think maybe I took like ten, and then I lived off that for literally a whole year. that paid my rent, that paid basically everything. And that was when I was like, well, that's enough. I can sustain myself off that if I can keep doing deals at that level. And then obviously over time, what that level is changes. Like we now have a lot of people millions of dollars a year for rent just in our different (laughs) offices. So it kind of after a while, it starts to add up. So now that easy $30,000 doesn't really move the needle, but it becomes like a like a three million dollar fee event, that then is substantial.
2: I think all mm-hmm. founders get to a point where they they make this one deal, right? And then they go, Hey, like this is a legitimate deal. Like, you know, Brand and I own a number of businesses before we got together at Feed Stories. And when we signed, we, we signed our first client we remember him because it was actually the most difficult client we've ever had Yeah, <laughs> was the first one. Yeah. Okay. But then we signed a client who's still a client to this day where Brandon and I kind of are like, okay, we can do this. And I think every business founder has that point where they realize like, Hey, I think we got something here. And that's a, that's a
0: day to really celebrate. And you remember it too, don't you? Oh, I, I, I remember it for sure. And I remember at the time I wasn't working with Bismarck because he was working in his banking job. I would often like call him for advice before you start working. And I was like, hey, I just made $30,000 in a day. So kind of like half bragging as well. Sure. Um, sure. Hey, I just made $30,000. And he's like, what else do you work on this month? I'm like, course. How much you make from the course? I'm like, oh, $1,500. How much do you make from coaching? $600. And he's like, how much time did you spend on the coaching? I'd be like, 20 hours. How much time <laughs> did you spend on the, the course? Like 60 hours. How much time did you spend on that deal? Like five hours. And he's like, well, why on earth are you still doing a course in- yeah, uh,
2: There you go. Like,
0: yeah, yeah. The, uh, so it wasn't just the fact that that deal was life changing in terms of size. It was also like, well, that's actually what we should be focusing on. That's the kind of most lucrative. But and uh, I guess as a and we're still a service business today. Like you have to look at what generates the most per hour of of input, either yourself personally or or, or with a team. And for us, it was that. Like I would. Absolutely love to do coaching. I could spend all day long coaching people, but ultimately, at least for what we do, it wouldn't be as lucrative by the hour, hence why mm. we do M&A. There's tons of things we could do, but we've always kind of stuck to the highest hourly rate output task. Gotcha.
2: Hey, we're having a great conversation with Thomas Smail. And if you are someone who is thinking about or knows somebody, who is looking to sell a company or even buy a company, head over to feinternational.com. They have a free evaluation if you are looking to sell. And they also have a ton of resources surrounding buying and selling companies. So head over to feinternational.com.
1: You're listening to the Innovative Founder. Now back to your hosts, Bob Rickneris and Brandon Boyd.
3: Yeah. Well, on that so on that vein, what do you see the future like? What's your what's the crystal ball? What do you what do you kind of predict based on your experience and the deals you've done? Are you yourself going to continue in your business and expand it? And if so, if you could be willing to share how you plan on doing that, or what do you see
0: happening going forward in the industry? Yeah, definitely good for now. Like I said, no minute burnout, still high energy, I still love what I do. So I don't have I generally thought if you asked me years ago, by the time I got to 30, I would have been burned out. And a lot of people still say to me now, like Thomas you need to take a break. You need to slow down. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not really sustainable to like never take vacation or anything like that, but or when you're on vacation, still be working, but I've kind of made it work and I've got used to it. And I think if you spend enough time hanging around with other entrepreneurs or successful people, you realize that it's not actually that uncommon to be in that kind of mode all the time so from that perspective like personally i'm fine be wise i mean i'm extremely optimistic for the future of the business just because the industry we are in which is let's call it online business is only going to continue to grow if you look Mm -hmm. at i mean recession aside or if we're calling it recession you look at all industry related trends everything's going in the right direction at the very most base level More and more people in the world are using the internet every year. More and more people are buying online every year. More and more companies are moving away from kind of fax machines, pen and paper to cloud-based solutions. So that's that's people buying online. People like even my parents know how to use Amazon. (laughs) That's e-commerce. And then content, more and more people now consume content online, whether it's a podcast, whether it's an ebook, whether it's a a blog post, whether it's a TikTok video, people consume all sorts of content online. remember years ago when I was a kid, when I was like 20 years ago, if you want to consume content, you'd either get like a a newspaper or read a book. I'd read tons and tons of books. Mm -hmm. Now, as I've got older, I I still read all the time, constant learner, but I'm not reading books a lot of the time. I'm reading Blog posts and things like that. So, if you think about the kind of businesses our clients are building, it's only going to become bigger, more and more people come online. So, the industry we're in is great. I don't necessarily have a strong opinion either way of like society is becoming more entrepreneurial or not, but there's definitely, I'd say, a growing trend of, particularly in the US, and this is the fundamental reason why Ismail and I moved here in the UK it's probably changed a little bit culturally over the last 12 years. Starting a business or running a business is usually like, oh, is that because you can't get a job? Or like, when are you going <laughs> to go get a job? Like, isn't it really risky having a business? Where in the US, the fundamental difference, if you say, hey, run a business, people are like, awesome, what do you do? Like running a business. Well, even if your business kind of sucks, people will still encourage you. So we've always like loved it here, just the entrepreneurial culture. And we service clients all over the world. We still have a team in the UK. It's just that we, we, he's in Miami now. I'm in, like I said, just outside San Francisco. We also have an office in New York. So we very much like have a team. You're as
2: far away from each other as you possibly can. Which
0: if you ever met us together, you'll (laughs) probably agree. That's a good thing, but we've, we've made it work. So it works for us. Yeah. So
2: does that does that relationship then? So if Brandon and I, I'm in Chicago, he's in Denver, so we're a little bit closer. Does that say anything about our relationship? We're we just a
0: little bit better off than you guys. Uh, I don't know. Well, one of you were describing the other one as a wife, earlier, so I'm kind of. <laughs> I do not accept that description.
2: No.
3: No.
0: No. I um, I, I I crash at Bob's house. Uh, when I'm in town, usually. Oh, well, no, we do the same. No, we, yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm joking. Like, we get, we get on well. Like, if I'm in Miami, I'll crash at his house I, as well. I think I'm a little um, exhausting for Bob. So it's yeah. all
3: good. We're, we're good in small doses.
2: It's all yeah, good.
0: Yeah. No, um, we're, no, we're exactly the same. But no, I, like, future of industry, extremely bullish. Will, yeah. will people always be launching businesses? Yes. Will more and more people be using the internet? Yes. Do I genuinely believe and not just with a salesperson hat on that you should use a, M&A firm, if you're selling a business, yes. Therefore, we tick all of those three main boxes. So as far as I'm concerned, as long as we don't do something stupid, like screw up our reputation, which is really, that would only really be driven by like a cultural shift. Mm-hmm. If we kind of changed our team and I'm like, sell at any cost. If there's a problem, just like lie to the client and get it done, which a lot of other firms do, then yeah, you probably make loads of money for the next couple of years. But then ultimately your reputation catches up with you in a bad way. So for now, very happy continuing doing what we're doing. Like you say, it feels like, sounds cheesy, but like we're creating life-changing exits for people every day. Obviously they have to build the business, but we're like a big part of the exit process. And that's very fulfilling for me. And also the team. I feel like particularly the more senior people in the company who have been here a while now, like they get to work through the whole process is a very fulfilling career, even though it's very hard work as well. Yeah. So I guess continue doing more of what we're doing. We probably will launch more like products and services as we go. Because once you get to a certain kind of headcount and on overhead, you do need not necessarily to be working on the most lucrative thing all the time. Sometimes you need to be working on something that's just consistent and kind of keeps the lights on in the office rather than always chasing the next big deal, which is fun, but doesn't necessarily keep our finance director happy. Sure. I get it. Well, this is this has been fun. This is fun to
3: see kind of behind the scenes a little bit of business acquisition online and your evolution. So, Thomas, we have a segment we like to call the 60-second rant. So, this is this is kind of a way for us to get to us and our audience to get to know you a little bit more about anything you want to rant about, kind of a soapbox moment for you. You could it can be anything from business to food you don't like or something in an, annoying in an industry or something you love. Pick something and go whenever you're
0: ready. Oh, wow. That's like really putting me on the spot. The thing. <laughs> My thing is about like, except like said, like work ethic and building a business. I think a lot of people get really like negative, particularly if you spend too much time on social media, which I probably do. I think there's a lot of like negative, not really information, negative sentiment about people who want to work really hard. And they're like, well, that's a bad thing. You need to kind of take a break. Shouldn't work so much. It's toxic. I think if you, Want to be successful and build a successful business? I think you you ultimately do. My unpopular opinion is you do need to work hard, and like you are more likely to be successful if you work harder than someone else. I remember years ago when I was starting out, I spoke to a guy. I wouldn't necessarily call him a mentor, but I guess he, similar to a mentor figure. And he he at the time was like, "Well, I've been successful over the years not because I'm the smartest person in the room, it's because I will always outwork the other person in the room." And that's kind of what I thought mm-hmm. at the time. I was like, "Well," Worst case scenario: If you work harder than everyone else, then you're you're at least winning in some areas. Particularly if you're building like a service business, I think I think a lot of people come to me like, "Oh, what, what, Thomas? What's the like trending business? Because that's what I'm going to launch." You shouldn't launch a trending business. Launch something you're actually going to stick to. Like for example, with a service business, like mine, I would not suggest launching a service business if, particularly with selling someone's life work don't do that if you don't want someone to call you on a Sunday, because Mm, mm. that's going to happen. If someone is in the middle of a $10 million deal and they've spent 15 years of their life building a business they're selling and they want to call you on a Sunday, then you pick up the phone on a Sunday. So yes, some people view that as toxic. Like it's really difficult to hire for, because a lot of people don't want to do that. I think there's a lot of like misinformation and kind of unpopularity around working hard. But I think if you're listening to this and you're, starting a business and maybe people privately are discouraging you from kind of working late, missing weekends or whatever, then I think not necessarily my rant, but my encouragement would be there are plenty of other people who have done that, but they might, because it's such an unpopular thing to talk about. A lot of people will never actually want to talk about it publicly. But the reality is if you hang around with hundred successful people who are in their 60s and you ask them what the secret is, the majority will say hard work.
2: Yeah. Mm. Well, this has been a great conversation, Thomas. I appreciate mm-hmm. you taking some time. You mentioned that you do have evaluations and I assume other resources. Where would people
0: go to best learn more about your company and possibly working with you? Sure. Yeah. So if you just go to the feinternational.com website, if you depending on the kind of business model you have, you can navigate accordingly. Anyone that's listening will offer a free evaluation. If you're thinking about buying a business, you can have a look what we're currently Representing. If you also are maybe an introvert and you're an internet introvert, (laughs) maybe you don't want to speak to anyone, then we have a bunch of content you can read or download, see where the market is at right now. Content we've written around valuation, kind of, I guess, a more in-depth version of many of the things we've spoken about today. Awesome. Well, this is enlightening.
2: I hadn't really ever spoken with somebody that has this much experience in buying and selling. So it was really enlightening. And it's great to know that you exist. And obviously, as Brandon and I spend a lot of time with business owners across the country, across the globe who have expressed interest. Now I know a guy. So be glad to refer them to you. So thanks for sharing your insight today, sharing your stories with, with us and our audience. Yeah. Th- thanks, guys. Fantastic.
1: Thank you for listening to The Innovative Founder with Bob Regnerus and Brandon Boyd. A show featuring the real stories of entrepreneurs making their beautiful dent in the world. If you like the show, let us know by leaving a rating. If you're an innovative business founder yourself with a story to tell, then you might just be our next guest. Reach out to us on InnovativeFounder.com and tell us your story. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time on The Innovative Founder.